0: Get the next 10 weeks of The Spectator in print and online for just £1. There's no commitment and you can cancel at any time, but hurry because this offer runs for a week only. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash sale. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, The Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Versaife and Fraser Nelson. The Queen's body has been moved to Westminster Hall. James, how has the procession worked today? So the the Queen's uh, coffin has been taken from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Hall where she will now lie in state for four days. And her own uh, family will stand over, uh, guard over her at some point. And we are now in the process as we move towards the funeral on, on Monday. We saw the Queen's body going from Scotland, uh, returning to London yesterday. And I think this is, in some point now, the, the kind of focal point of, of national mourning. Um, outside, if you look out of our office window, you can, be, you can see the queue of people Waiting to pay their respects to the queen, uh, and that queue to give you a sense of the scale of it, you can see it from our office window, and it goes all the way down to London Bridge. Now, this 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 is a, a huge queue. They are talking about thirteen hours for people to get to the front of it. it. It is a remarkable sign of the public affection and respect for for
1: their late monarch, but that so many people are are queuing in this way. I think everybody's taken aback by the sheer scale of this. I mean, we have seen royal processions before, we've seen lying in state, we've seen jubilees, but the magnitude is really off the scale. I mean, um, where we are here, um, we are the spectator, we're opposite of St James's Park. If you go to St James's Park now, there are people who are putting flowers next to random trees in St James's Park because there's nowhere left to put them in Buckingham Palace. I tried to buy some flowers from my wife um, in Richmond the other day, and they sold out by lunchtime because so many people were buying flowers coming into central London to put them somewhere, anywhere as a mark of respect. The day that the Queen died last Thursday... I went by Buckingham Palace just to have a look, because I always think that you see scenes there which defy political logic and understanding. And there was a security guard there who sealed the security guard uniform on, and he's come with this um, bunch of flowers to lay down, and I thought to myself, what was it that motivated? Somebody like him probably not paid minimum wage when he finishes his shift to go down, buy a bunch of flowers, and come and take it as a mark of respect. And this is something which, what we're seeing now is the the magic of monarchy, the the depth of feeling, the connection between the monarch and the public, um, which is very, other countries looking at this, and the worldwide audience for the funeral, by the way, is expected to be the biggest ever um, of anything. It's something which is amazing to behold, is very moving. The people would stand for 13 hours, but more than that, I mean, it's very difficult to move here in Westminster. Such is the kinetic force. You might think that in 2022, the monarchy might have lost its relevance. People might regard it as a nostalgic institution. I think what we're about to witness is, that the mon- is proof that the monarchy has got more relevance than ever before, and its sheer potency is a unifying force for social classes, for people around the world, for people around the islands of this country. Is incredible, unparalleled, and, and has lost none of its potency over the years.
0: I think you also see the strength of having a, a head of state, who people of, of all political persuasions and none can respect. And I mean, I mean that has been actually. You, know, I think if you'd watched this country over the last eight years. You would not have thought this was a country at, at, particularly at ease with itself. It is a country which has had two very divisive referendums, You, a, a country with, with political upheaval, which it hasn't, you know, the, the rate of attrition of prime ministers has been far higher in recent years than it has been previously. And yeah, I think mean, actually, what you are seeing at the moment is a, a country that seems... Very comfortable with itself, very at ease with itself. And I think that is, that is I think, one of the benefits that, that brings to the system of constitutional monarchy is that you have detached the head of state from from politics. I thought there's a very good point made by Douglas Murray in the, in the forthcoming issue of The Spectator that he says that he was trying to explain to Americans kind of what the Queen is and represents and he said it was almost you know think about how americans think about their flag it's almost as if the flag is, is walking amongst you and then in in this way in which the queen is as obviously that ability to transcend partisan political debate
1: i saw a poll today that 45 percent of canadians intend to watch the um the funeral live on television now of course she's a head of state in canada uh but still 45 percent of any country is a pretty big audience share and to me, this is one of the things that fascinates me most of all, just the sheer amount of fascination and engagement that we see right around the world. When people look and think of Britain, they don't really think of like Boris Johnson or Liz trust or anything like that. This is the kind of thing which they think that the splendour, the mass popular appeal, it's something that no other monarchy has got, let alone no other country.
0: In Avenue today, James, we had an inflation update. Yeah, inflation came in slightly lower than expected, slightly lower than the last month. Now, within the margin of error, there. Really. Yeah. Now, I think mean, lots of people are slightly, I think, prematurely saying, "Well, this shows that inflation has peaked; it's it's on its way down." Especially if you consider how the the, the energy price cap that the government is the energy price freeze the government is introducing at two thousand five hundred will will keep inflation lower than expected. But there's a very good piece by Kate Andrews on Coffee House taking uh, taking issue with that um, and making the case as to why. We are likely to see double-digit inflation again before too long, and, and why we might well be in for a more protracted period of high inflation than people are expecting.
1: What everybody's missing is that the energy price cap is going up next month. Up So that's going to increase everybody's power costs by about 25%. This even is a, with the price control? Even with the price control. So that is a huge. That's going to add... Um, probably about half a percentage point on CPI, probably 0.7 um, points. So there is absolutely no way that inflation has peaked. Uh, the Bank of England reckons it will peak next month in October. Uh, the one of the questions is how high it goes, and what the energy price cap does mean for some of the loftier figures we've had, like twenty-two percent, 16%, that probably won't happen. The Bank of England is thinking 13% it peaks in October, but it wouldn't surprise me now if, they're, if they're, they now revise that down. But the trajectory is one of decline, and fairly quickly. So we've got, so after the hump of next month, and it will be a very big, very painful hump, after that, there are signs of things getting better. I mean, look at the oil price that's coming down now. And um, Look at the petrol price. I was paying £2.20 a litre a few weeks ago. Now the national price is below one pound seventy. So we are beginning to see some of the more important components of inflation coming down. But when it settles, it won't go back to where it was, 2%, 1%. I mean, core inflation is still stripping out all the energy. It's still 6 or 7%. And in Britain, the problem is going to be services inflation. Right now, we have got a major economic dysfunction where there's a massive worker shortage and mass unemployment. Our failure to use one to remedy the other is going to lead to high costs and economic stagnation for some time to come.
0: And James, you've been following on the podcast this week how the Ukrainian effort is changing the mood when it comes to the conflict. Are there any updates?
1: I I think there's a very striking piece
0: there on Reuters about how shortly before the conflict began, Vladimir Putin rejected uh, an offer of, of essentially Ukrainian neutrality, a promise never to join NATO, that his senior Ukraine envoy had recommended to him. And I think what is interesting about this is the fact that this report has come out now. And I think that, that we've seen a lot of uh, on Russian state television. We have seen some kind of nationalist voices kind of critiquing the effort from, from, from the more hawkish end of the spectrum. I think this is the more moderate end of the spectrum, also offering its own critique. And I think one of the problems for Russia right now is, I think in some ways what makes the situation so dangerous in terms of potential escalation is, that there is no return now for status quo, anti for, for Putin, because you know, the idea that Russia could just go back to its role as an energy exporter to Europe, etc etc et, cetera, et cetera, is, is just no longer credible. I don't think any European country is going to go back to that dependence on Russia for energy that it once had. And so, you know, for Putin, the problem is, you know, the, the, the world that existed before the war is not a world that he can return to. And obviously that raises stakes for him. And obviously then that is concerning in how he might, escalate from here we've also seen President Zelensky visiting some of the newly liberated territory today again I think that that that, that is a sign of Ukrainian confidence that they are prepared to send to, to send a, their president to, to, to somewhere that they have liberated in the last few days that shows they are confident that they have a relatively secure hold of that territory
1: our Ukrainian colleagues, Philana Murnets, was writing today about how rapidly they're trying to re- resurrect civil society in Kerishon. So Zelensky's visit was there, but they, with military speed, they're trying to resurrect the post office. They're trying to, for example, she was telling me that in Ukraine, you get your pension sent to you in cash. Now, during the Russian occupation, that stopped. Nobody was sent their pension. She was saying that her grandfather has never had a bank account, which I find kind of mind blowing. But this is just you know how much of our country lives and has always lived. This was, the Soviet era backwardness was never quite remedied. So right now, they're, they're doing their best to get um, utilities working there. But what they're worried about now is that Putin has got more cards to play. One of those cards is sending missile strikes to take out the energy supply. In a country where it hits minus 25 in winter, that is pretty bad. So Zelensky, for example, has set up some petrol-generated electricity generators in the occupied territories, or now liberated territories. So he's doing that so they can get electricity back on, on track. But what happens if the Russians take out the power, not just in the occupied, formerly occupied territories, but in Ukraine in general. So he does have more cards to play. As James says, he can't go back to where he was. And then there's the nuclear card as well. What happens if there was an accident, in inverted commas, in the nuclear power plant? So as Putin runs out of options, he's also running out of support. Our colleague Lisa Hazeldyne has written a fascinating piece. She speaks Russian, and she's been following a debate in Russia. Difficult to do in a country with no free press, but there are bloggers, there are things people are saying on social media. She's keeping across this, and she's noticing a tide turning against Putin quite decisively. Now, if Putin thinks things are really going wrong for him domestically as well as internationally, that's when he starts to get desperate and reach for some of those emergency cards. So we'll see in the next few weeks and months what those cards might be.
0: Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James.